Well, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. I'm totally... Uh, if you're not uh, caught up on Netflix and Tiger King, uh, then number one, I don't know what you've been doing with your quarantine time. And number two, that joke I just opened this sermon with <laughs> went way over your head. Uh, I am so glad that you, uh, you're joining us. Uh, we are in part 19 of 20 in our Leviticus series, which means you only have one more week of that creepy sermon trailer that plays before the sermon series starts. Uh, but this week, I'm really excited. In fact, it's one of the things I've been really uh, excited about ever since I knew we were going to be in Leviticus. Uh, we are in chapter 26, the second to last chapter of the book of Leviticus. And if you have a Bible with headings like most do, it probably says something like blessings and curses of God. And really, the question and the thing I want to talk about, hopefully very simply and very shortly for this Easter, uh, is, is your life blessed or is your life cursed? Do you live blessed or do you live cursed? And I know as I say that, you're like, I don't even know what that means. Like right now, for a lot of us, blessed might just simply mean you don't have enough toilet paper in the cupboard, which is something I would have never said three weeks ago. But that's where we are as a society. Or, you know, you might be cursed if you have allergies. I don't know if anybody else is like me right now, but I sneeze and I feel like I've got, oh, no, it's really, it's not like that, I promise. Uh, and I seem to have like the worst throat pain when I'm around other people. So I don't know what, what it is for you, blessing and curses, uh, but I'm sure you have some sort of an idea. And, and really, in a sense, we all live both blessed and cursed. But like at the most basic level of blessing, if you're watching this video on Facebook, you're probably in a home with four walls. It probably has air conditioning and heating. Uh, you're probably not worried about your next meal, as you can tell by uh, what I'm wearing right now, that I'm not worried about my next meal either. I think I've only worn this baby one time, but it was Easter, so I thought i got to break out my Easter vest, and uh, I'm a little bit stiffer than I remember the last time I wore this thing. So, so in that sense, you're blessed. Uh, you, you've probably got people in your home that love you and people that you love. Uh, but I would almost argue, and I would argue, and I'm going to argue today, uh, that in a greater sense, all of us by nature are actually cursed. Like your default setting is not to live a blessed life. Your default setting is actually to live a cursed life. And you might say, Blake, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I've got money in the bank. I've got all those things you mentioned. I, I think my life actually is a pretty blessed life. And I would just say to you that on that level, yes, it is blessed, but but blessing truly, and this is what we've learned in Leviticus, comes from God. And even atheists can experience what you're experiencing when we talk about that level of blessings. You see, in Leviticus, what we learn is that God is setting up a community for himself. And in this community, we learn over and over and over through all these odd and really weird rules about mustaches and tattoos and all of these things that really all serve the purpose of proclaiming to the people and having the people proclaim to the world outside of them that their God is a God of life. That is who God is. In fact, we learned that all the way back in the Garden of Genesis when uh, for three glorious chapters at the front of this massive book, everything is absolutely perfect and good. Why? Because there's a God of the universe who's ruling and reigning. Nobody is, is trying to uh, express their opinion towards God. Everybody just follows in line with what God has to say in our Parents, Adam and Eve, live in perfect harmony with one another and in perfect harmony with God. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation, just perfect life. And then sin enters the world, and sin is really just anything falling short of what God would have for you. It's when you go right and God says to go left. 
The first sin happens when Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And by definition, if God is the pathway to life and sin is taking any other pathway, that pathway can only lead to death, which is why death entered into the world. And my friends, it's honestly why death enters into your world and into my world, because I still, just like my first parents, so often try to eat from the tree of knowledge and evil, thinking I know what is right and wrong for my life, thinking I know what is good and evil. And I disobey what God's will would be for my life, and it leads to death. It leads to a cursed life. And I know, like, we think about death, uh, we try not to. Like, especially uh, at Easter when we're celebrating and it's a joyous time, we, we don't want to think about death. Uh, it's the ultimate curse. And yet, as I, as I look at everybody, even the most blessed people by worldly standards, they all die. And one of the things I really have uh, enjoyed about the coronavirus season we find ourselves in is that I have seen people be a lot more acutely aware of their humanity. People are afraid, they're taking precautions. Why? Because they don't want to die. And I found some, some facts from uh, the CDC really interesting as I was uh, doing my study this week. And that is so far from COVID, uh, 99,000 people have died. 99,000 souls. I don't want to just let that go over. That's, that's an amazing tragedy. That's very sad. But this year alone, also expected deaths for heart disease is 9 million people. For stroke, 5.5 million people. 3 million more people will die from cancer this year alone. And from car crashes, 1.35 million people are going to die this year in comparison to the 99,000 so far who have died from COVID worldwide. Ooh, Blake, that's really great news. Thanks for sharing. I know, I promise we're going to get to the encouraging news. But my point with sharing those statistics is to show you we're all in a world where death could come tomorrow. Death is not any closer now just because we're more acutely aware of it. And my prayer would be that you would begin to live more acutely aware of death and that you would realize that there is only one true way in which you can avoid death, and that is through the blessing of God. And I'd ask you again, are you blessed or are you cursed? And you guys know that death isn't really even just a physical thing. There are many people right now that perhaps you're watching who are alive, but they're not really living. You're riddled with pain and anxiety, or you have an addiction that grips your life. And if you're honest, it's not even really you living anymore. It's that addiction living through you. There's people who long ago gave up on any purpose or dream that they had in their life, and they're just trying to make it through. And their, their great church experiences is I get to go to heaven when I die, but I just kind of got to suffer until I get there. And I would just say, my friends, no, God has so much more for you. And there's really two ways in which you can achieve the blessing of God. You can live a life that is truly life, and you can honestly and totally defeat COVID and any other disease there is because you will live a physical life in which death cannot get to you ultimately also. There's two ways, and both of these things, I'm introducing a, a theological term here, they are covenants, which are agreements made between man and God. There's two specific covenants we're going to look at today. And I'm going to ask you which covenant you are living under, because it makes all the difference in whether you are living a blessed life or a cursed life. So let's jump in Leviticus chapter 26, starting in verse 3 and 4. It says, if you, I need my studio audience here to say, if you, if you, don't worry, we're all socially distancing, except for the married couple. They're not, but that's okay. Follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands. I will, studio audience, I will give you rain at the right time, and the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. 
The first kind of covenant we see here is a if you, I will. And this is honestly how the majority of us live our lives in all of our relationships. Like for your employer, you are in a if you, I will type relationship. If your employer will pay you, you will work. And if you will work, your employer will pay you. Try to do it without doing that. It's not going to work very well for you. Your friendships, I would imagine, are a if you, I will type relationship. Even our closest friends, there are certain things that if they were to do or say to us, then we would no longer be in relationship with you, with them. It is a covenant type relationship. And we see God here entering into the people, uh, with the people, the Israelite people in Leviticus here, into a covenant type relationship. As we go to the next verse, or sorry, to the next page here, you'll see that this is the first covenant. And this is the covenant, honestly, that all of us are born into. It's by nature the covenant we accept with God, and that is the covenant of works. And that covenant says, if you obey, God will bless you. If you do all the right things, then God will give you everlasting life. If you do all the right things, then God will bless your life right now. And the good news is, is God holds up his end of the bargain in a wonderful, beautiful way if you can hold your end of the bargain, which is right here. We see this in Leviticus as we continue reading on. It says, I will, this is if you hold up your end of the bargain, he tells them, I will turn to you. I'll make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old grain of the previous year and will clear out the old to make room for the new. In other words, you'll have so much food that you won't even be able to eat last year's food before you have to put in this year's food, which as Americans, we're like, yeah, doesn't everybody do that? No, only the most wealthy of societies would have done this. So to an Israelite, they'd have been like, wow, really? God would do that for us? And he said, yeah, if you will hold your end of the bargain, I will do that. I will place my residence among you and I will not reject you. How beautiful is that? Echoes of the garden when God walked with man. If you do this, I will be with you. The God of the universe will be amongst you if you hold up your end of the bargain. Uh, it says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the bars of their yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. This is the covenant of works. If you obey, God will bless you. Unfortunately, is a double-edged sword because the covenant of works also means if you fail, God will curse you. If you fall short of God's path, remember what we said at the beginning, sin is falling short of God's path, and if God is life and I'm going short of his path, then that ultimately means I must be headed towards death. And while if you read chapter 26 this week, and I hope you do, the first 15 verses cover the blessings, there's about a book's worth of curses. I'm just going to read you a short amount of them. It says, but if you do not, if you fell on your end of the covenant, obey me and observe all these commands. If you reject my statutes and despise my ordinances and do not observe all my commands and break my covenant, then I will do this to you. So if you, then I will. I will bring terror on you, wasting disease and fever that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. You will sow your seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will turn against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and will flee even though no one is pursuing you. I'm going to guess none of you guys have a coffee mug with this verse on it. right? It's like not the image of God that we often think of. But this is the covenant of works. If you think you are going to be made righteous by your own works, if you think you're going to earn something from God by being good, if you think you can earn a blessed life, an ultimately blessed life, then you can do that. 
You just have to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, then you will experience the curses of God. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, uh, verse 10, he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Everybody. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything, studio audience, could you say that word? Everything. Written in the book of the law is cursed. You might live a really moral life. You do everything right. And you get mad at that one guy driving in the left lane and honk at him one time, and it's all over. Most of us did that today. Paul goes on. He says, now it is clear that no one is justified or made right before God by the law, which is what we talked about, the covenant of works. Because righteousness will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. What Paul means by that is it takes no faith for you to be a rule follower. And in other words, this is why so many of us like to be rule followers and go into the covenant of works. Because you want me just to say to you, Blake, just tell me the five things I need to do to get into heaven. Just tell me the five things I need to do to be right with God. Because if I can give you a scoreboard, if I can give you rules to follow, then what you'll be able to do is see where you are. Like a scoreboard doesn't lie. You know if you're winning or you're losing. But what is faith? Faith is confidence in the things we have not yet to see. See, I, I can't see faith. Faith is something I believe in and I trust in. But I have to trust in something outside of myself. It's not anything I can work for to get. Which is why the Apostle Paul would say, yeah, I know, I know you guys are, are accustomed to the covenant of works, which is if you obey, God will bless you. But I'm introducing you to a brand new covenant. And that covenant is a covenant of grace. I am blessed because Jesus obeyed. See, the Bible would paint a picture saying that Leviticus was never meant to actually make God's people right with him. It was actually meant to show us as sinful people that we could never truly be made right with God. That we would need somebody to come from outside of us to do that for us. Which is why Jesus, the God of this universe, would take on flesh. And he would take on the covenant of works for you. And because he obeyed, now I am blessed. As we keep reading on the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.11-12, through 12, and I want to read this to you from the message paraphrase because I think it's beautiful and it puts it in a wonderful picture. And it will help you understand if you are blessed or if you are cursed. It says, The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program, which would be the covenant of works, should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Habakkuk had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God, and that's the real life. Rule keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule keeping. A fact observed in Scripture. In other words, Paul is saying rules just lead to more rules. Because if there's a scoreboard, there will always be people who need to make sure they know that they are better than you. Which is why the Ten Commandments expands to 613 commandments by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament. It's why the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day created a Talmud that added some 3,000 more rules to the rules already in the Scriptures. It says the one who does these things, the, the rule keeping, continues to live by them. But Paul says, no, that's not what the covenant of grace is. In fact, I think we could say it this way. A covenant of works is do the right thing and God will love you. If I just do the right things and God will love me, God will bless me. Paul would say a covenant of grace 
which is truly the way people have always been saved, the way they've always experienced salvation, is embracing God's love for you. And then you will begin to do the right things. See, it's really interesting. Um, as a kid, I hated bedtime. Uh, I, I just I despised it. One of the things I couldn't wait for to get out of college uh, was, was to get rid of my curfew. I could go wherever I wanted, do whatever I wanted, when I wanted. I couldn't wait for my super hot girlfriend, Taylor Harris, now Taylor Farley. Can I get an amen? Whoop. Yeah, just made it awkward for everybody in the room. Uh, I, I couldn't wait for her to be freed from that, that yoke of a 9 p.m. curfew that I had to get her home by. And what's interesting is when that yoke was released, we're adults now, we could do whatever we want. What I find really interesting is that I am now asking and begging Taylor if we could go to bed by 9 o'clock. I don't want to stay up. I want to do the right things when I have freedom. See, it's a very interesting thing. The same is true uh, with God. Paul would say, if you're trying, if you're trying to uh, earn God's love, uh, you, you're never going to get there. You're going to feel a yoke of stress and anxiety and pain upon you. But if you realize that God has already loved you and you begin to live in light of that, what begins to happen then is you actually start to become more righteous. And what did God's love do for us? Well, we see it culminated in Jesus. And Apostle Paul says this. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us, he bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And then in verse 14, it says, The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. See, if you'll remember what we said earlier, and that was uh, that in the, the covenant of the works, if you obeyed God's commands, you were blessed, uh, which meant you had life, eternal life. Uh, if you did not obey God's command, you were cursed to a life of death. And then Jesus comes, and he lives the only life that was in full accordance with God's will, completely obeyed every dot and tittle of the law, completely down to every rule, every thought, every heart action, and yet he paid the penalty of somebody who had not followed the law. He was cursed to death. Why? So that you and I, who actually deserve death, might now be able to be blessed in life. See, the Savior of this universe came and he lived 33 years. He had three years of ministry. One of the most amazing ministries in the, in the entire, I'll say this again, the, the, the most amazing ministry in the entirety of humankind. The most amazing person in the entirety of humankind, whether you believe he was God or whether you don't believe he was God, your life is affected by him. Three years of ministry, he never wrote down one word himself. He never tried to be recorded. And yet he has literally changed the way we view ethics in the entire world. Every other religion has to answer for Jesus. Many other religions and cults are built around who Jesus is. Whether you love him or you hate him, you have to ask yourself the question, who is Jesus? And that God came, and he lived the life I couldn't live. And then after the end of his 33 years, he was crucified. Not because he couldn't stop it, but because he wouldn't stop it. He came to fulfill the will, to fulfill the covenant of works for you and I, so that we might be forgiven for the failure on our own part. He, he had nine-inch nails driven through both of his wrists and his feet. Blood poured out, spit in his face, a crown of thorns in his head, as the soldiers mocked him, calling him the king of the Jews. While at any moment, this God of the universe could call legions of angels to destroy everybody 
and none of us would have blamed him. And yet he bled and he bled, and then he finally cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is the ultimate curse? To be separated from God. That is what people face. Uh, that is what Blake Farley deserves to face after this life is over. People ask, what is hell? Hell is being separated from the presence of God. And in that moment, Jesus took this on himself. He was forsaken so that you and I might be loved. This is the covenant of grace. Paul would say, as you believe in that, what's true of you is that Jesus was cursed so that we would be blessed. That in his cursing, you have been blessed. And you say, Blake, how, how do I experience this? And it's, it's one word, and that word is to repent. That's one of those big Christian words we say, you got to repent. And people are like, yeah, what does that mean? Repent is very simple. Turning away from your wisdom and turning to the wisdom of Jesus. And turning away from the way you believe about everything and turning to the way Jesus believes about things. That means I turn away from the way I believe about my sin that causes me to have shame and guilt. I now turn away from that belief and I turn to the belief of Jesus, which says, I have paid for that, my son. You don't have to pay for that sin again. It was paid for on the cross of Calvary. It means in the, in the little things of life. If you want to know how you can have a life that is truly life, it means I now begin to view my marriage the way Jesus would view my marriage instead of the way I do. I begin to view my money the way Jesus would view my money instead of the way I want to view my money. And a life of following Jesus is not just one repentance. It's not just raising your hand one time saying, I want that. It's a lifetime of repenting every single time you come to the word of God and he convicts you of something. You continue to repent. You continue to turn away from your wisdom and turn to the wisdom of Jesus. And it's always been this way. Even back in Leviticus 26, at the end of this, when God lays out these terrible curses, he loves his people and he wants relationship with his people. So through repentance, he provides them a way back. And this is the same way you and I can walk away from the covenant of work and walk into the covenant of grace. It says, but when they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, their unfaithfulness that they practice against me. Step one is understanding that you are a sinner, understanding that you have gone off of God's path. And the person you're sinning against most is actually not the people that you've hurt that you can see, but it's the God of this universe who created you and loved you and wanted you to live in a way in which would provide life and glory to him, and you chose to live for glory for yourself. It's realizing that, humbling yourself. It says, and how they acted with hostility towards me, and I acted with hostility towards them, and brought them into the land of their enemies. And when their uncircumcised hearts are humble, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. And you, my friends, you and I, we have an even better covenant, and that is God will remember his covenant with Jesus. And you say, Blake, what, what does this blessed life look like? Well, for me personally, I can just speak from my own experience and from the experience I've seen in others' lives as, as they follow Jesus. What does this life look like? Well, first and foremost, my past, present, and future sins have been completely forgiven through his sacrifice, meaning I can experience salvation. I cannot save myself from the covenant of works by myself, but because of what he's done on my behalf, through believing that that counts for me, I'm actually saved from that covenant of works into the covenant of grace. And I can truly have everlasting life. And everlasting life doesn't start when I die. It starts right now. I, Blake Farley, am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and secondly, I have been given the righteousness of Jesus. Meaning, God doesn't just forgive me of my sin, but he sees me for what Jesus has done. So, I'm able to be adopted into God's family. 
I am a part of God's family. This isn't just an individual faith. I have brothers and sisters who have the same values, who have the same love of God, who have been experienced the same forgiveness. And together what we can begin to do is begin to find peace. That shame, that guilt, that anxiety, that marriage trouble, that money trouble, it doesn't just go away overnight. Ask any Christian. <laughs> you still have struggle. But the one most beautiful thing is that we have people along our side who will walk with us as we find peace in the gospel. Number three is through discovering my God-given gifts. And I have gifts, and you have gifts, and you might not even know those gifts are there. But the Holy Spirit will empower you so that you can truly know your purpose, why you exist. So that, finally, my future is promised on a strong foundation. In other words, like you say, what's the importance of the, the resurrection? You, you talked all about the crucifixion, how that paid for our sins. What, what does Jesus rising have to do with anything? Well, what it does is it proves to us that Jesus is who he says he is. That we can go and we can find almost every other religious leader's body in a tomb somewhere. But we cannot find the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is seated firmly on a throne in heaven. And he's promised the same is true for us. That means I don't have to live with fear. I can now live fulfilled. Like my life matters. I can join with the Apostle Paul and say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, I want this for you so badly this Easter. And one of the things about being a pastor that I honestly wish I could have a magic wand uh, is, is I feel like I say about the same seven things uh, week in and week out. And for some people, the light bulb comes on. And for other people, it takes the 797th time for me to say it for the light bulb to come on. Why? I don't know why that is. I think it's the Holy Spirit working in your life circumstances. But, but I want to speak directly to the person out there who would say, I understand what you're saying about grace, but I am too far from God. My life is dead. Uh, th this is a picture of Death Valley in California. And uh, it's, it's the hottest recorded uh, place that a temperature has been taken on Earth, 134 degrees in 1998 there in Death Valley. Completely dead. There's cracks in the, in the, uh, in the dirt. There, there hadn't been any growth there in a very, 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 very long time. Uh, until 2004, there was this amazing thing that had really never happened. A weather pattern took a, a weird turn, and uh, Death Valley experienced torrential downpour. Uh, so much downpour that there was actually even a little river that ran through Death Valley. And something happened that blew all the scientists' minds. I mean, they thought this thing was dead, that there was no beauty to come out of this thing. And the rainfall happened in 2004. By Easter of 2005, this same location looked like this. A beautiful picture of the life that was beneath the surface of death. And what I hope that that image would show to some of you is that you are not too far. That I, what I can see for you without even knowing you, my friend, is that God has a life that is truly blessed. Not a life of money, not a life of what this world would call success necessarily, but a life full of peace, a life full of hope, purpose, and ultimately a life of fulfillment. A life that one day, just like I showed this picture of Death Valley going from death to life, people will look at your life and they will say, look at this beautiful picture of how God took something that was dead and he turned it into life. And all you have to simply do, my friends, is place your trust in Jesus, believing that he is who he said he is, and he would do what he said he would do. Repent. Turn from your wisdom to his wisdom. That is what I would beg of you this Easter.